back to another episode of Crosses and Graces. My name is Peter Holm, and today we're going to talk about Judaism. Now, Judaism seems like a weird topic, maybe, but in the episodes coming up, as well as some of the ones we've already given, you'll see kind of the connections here and why there's a dynamic that we're going to need to address here with Catholicism and how it applies to all of you guys so that we can make sure to make good decisions and help everyone else out around us to find truth and steer clear of error. So before we get started, I'm going to say, hey, thank you to Restoring the Faith for hosting us. Make sure you guys thank them as well. Hit the subscribe button. Like this video if it helps you. If you don't like it, throw comments. If you do like it, throw comments. If you have questions, give me comments. I want to hear it. All right. So without any further ado, now, when we talk about Judaism, we're talking about the religion of the Pharisees, not the religion of Moses. And before we go and get into detail on all this stuff, I'm going to say clearly right up front. When we look at St. Augustine and Catholicism, we love the sinners and we hate the sin. When we look at atheism, we hate atheism. We love atheists. We hate Satan and Satanism, but we love Satanists because we can convert them. All right. And by the same token, Judaism no, it is not in alignment with anything truthful. And the whole problem is, is truth is an all or nothing bag. Okay. If you start pulling pieces out of it and we say that this car still works, even though I removed the starter and I pulled out the seats and it has no wheels, it's not a car anymore. Now you just have a piece of garbage. Okay. That's what we're going to talk about today. So love Jews, but we don't like Judaism. And we have to explain why Judaism then actually comes after Catholicism, like as they attacks it, and we'll build on this, okay? Now, our job here is to make sure we go and follow our one and only God, all right? Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Christ is our King. He is our God, okay? So, from that standpoint, and all the grace that we need to go and, and pull now, keep, hold on to it, keep your state of grace, let's build on this. How can I confidently tell you that Judaism is not of Moses? Well, let's look at some very uh, pertinent facts right here, okay? One, no Levites. Now, if you look back at the Old Testament, Levites were essential to the faith of the Mosaic religion, the Hebrew faith that would kind of uh, set the type and prepare all of the Hebrews, the Israelites, for Jesus to come to be their king. That means there's a significant amount of ritual, there's a significant amount of authority, and remember, why were the Levites in charge? Because the heads of the families built a golden calf, the Levites were tasked to eradicate all of the people who had led that effort and took over and said, these are now the only people authorized by God to offer the sacrifice to God, would be the, Levi the Levitical priesthood, okay? Now, who were... The Levites. What, what does that have to do with Judaism? Well, when you get to Judaism in the first century, all that's left of the Levitical priesthood, known as Zedekites, so you see that word come up every now and again. So, like, you have Israelite and Israeli, the way that you look at the Latinizing of the term. Well, we have Zedekite and Sadducee, okay? The Essenes are also Sadducees. Now, when we look at it all together in, in uh, context, we're going to sit there and say, what happened in 44 AD? Herod Agrippa II, king of the Jews, also in that same vein as Herod, who had been before him, that we read about in the Gospels. So, 
what was his bag? Well, what ended up happening is the Pharisees said that the Sadducees, who they didn't like, were holding on to all the authority and preparing to rebel against the Romans. And so they actually worked a whole scheme out with the Romans to have the leadership of the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, executed. That doesn't sound good at all, right? Well, then by 70 AD, when everything else goes down with the revolt, well, the next step here is that the temple gets destroyed. All right, so a war starts. Vespasian leads an army to come in to go and deal with the problem where there was a Jewish uprising in Judea, and they have to go and put this down, okay? So what ends up happening? Well, out of vengeance, the temple's destroyed, 70 AD, almost like Christ predicted. Hmm. So they lose their temple. In the temple was the role of the priests. That's gone, so they cannot track all the way back to Aaron anymore. They have no temple, so no place to offer a sacrifice, no priests, because what happens at the 70 AD mark? That's the last you'll ever hear of Sadducees. They fade out of history. They are gone at that point. All the priests, the remaining priests that they had that followed the Mosaic religion, all gone, nothing to see here which means no longer can a sacrifice, there's no one that can offer a pure sacrifice in the Mosaic Law. Hmm. Well then, no sacrifice, no priests, no role, no temple. How can this be like the Mosaic religion again? It, it can't. One of the other facets of their breaking from the Mosaic truth is their discarding or loss of the Septuagint. Septuagint, what's that? That's the Old Testament, originally Hebrew, originally the first five books written by Moses, then the priest would write more, it would end up being all put together in Hebrew, and then King Ptolemy II comes along and says, hey, I need you to translate this. Seventy priests, this is Levites, basically Zedekites, get together, and he tasks them, you're going to translate this into Greek, because I'm going to put it in my library in Alexandria, and they do it, and all of them come out identical. That's kind of cool. So in the Septuagint, though, that's the full list of the Hebrew canon, according to like the religion of Moses, all right? Well, when you then look at what happens here with the Pharisees, well, they've killed all the Levites, the Sadducees. They've persecuted all the Christians. So therefore, all their access to the scriptures kind of go bye-bye. At that point, they're missing some books when they finally decide we need to go and put together an actual book of our scriptures. Let's go find them. So they go together, they look for them, and they come up seven books short. So when you look at the Hebrew Bible that was assembled in the second century, no Tobit, no Judith, no Wisdom of Solomon, no Sirach, Ecclesiasticus, no Baruch, and no First and Second Maccabees. Hmm. Well, that's not good. So you have a religion that has an incomplete scripture. The canon's not all there. And then what happens when Martin Luther rolls along and says, hey, I need to know what scripture I'm supposed to use from a new Protestant faith. What does he do? He goes and asks the Pharisees. Well, what do you think they tell him? The rabbinic Judaism, Talmudic Judaism. What do they tell him? Well, here's, here's our Hebrew Bible. Oh, those seven books? Don't worry about them. You can get rid of them. And then what happens? Luther's like, you're right. Apocrypha. And they're gone. All right. So then the only full canon we have of the Old Testament now is the Septuagint which was originally in Greek before Jerome got a hold of it, and it is now attached to the Catholic Bible. Okay, so if you read the Douay Reims, you're going to find the Septuagint, the fullness of it. Now, if all that isn't bad enough, 
No priests, no temple, no sacrifice, no scripture, at least not complete scripture. They also don't have Christ, all right? They deny our Lord and Savior. They have prevented him from being their avenue to grace. They've cut themselves off. This is not good. When you deny the kingship and the divinity of Christ, they are now in denial of truth, John 14, 6, because there's no way to get to the Father unless they have the Son. They cannot claim they worship the Father when they deny the Son. Whoever denies Christ before men, Christ will deny before his Father, Matthew 10, 33. This seems ominous when we're looking at a religion that is sitting here now in conflict with the Son of God. The God-man, Christ, the Son of the Trinity. This can't work out well. So what does this all mean to you and me? We see often those signs in people's yards that say, Stand with Israel, and we see that white and blue flag, and the Star of David, and we hear all these different things about they were the original followers of the religion, and a whole bunch of other stuff. But I'm going to ask you, where do you think Jesus Christ stands with the nation of Israel? A nation made in 1948. A nation that has a religion that denies his divinity and his kingship. It has no priests according to the Mosaic law. It has no temple according to the Mosaic law. It has no sacrifice. And they wouldn't know anyways because they're missing seven books. And of the books they did get, the translations are incomplete. Can God promote such a nation? No. Not under any circumstances. That is now in contradiction to truth. Truth cannot coexist with falsehood. This does not work out well. Where do we see anywhere anything in Scripture that says God's chosen people are allowed to violate the Ten Commandments? That's not there. That's not there. Why would I say that? Well, one, we can't worship God, the first commandment. If we have no priests and no sacrifice and no temple, and we're going to ignore some of his scripture because we just don't have it. Then we go even further and we make new law? What? Wait a minute. No. They, they did. The Talmud is new law. That is not something that God, Christ, gave them. How do we know? Because the Talmud actually promotes the violation of the Ten Commandments. All of them. Okay? All of them. When the religion of the Pharisee encounters individuals who are not of their religion, not of their bloodline, because it's a very big deal, their bloodline, they can treat them differently. Yes. And if you're like, where does it say that? The Talmud literally says it is okay to treat the goyim differently than they treat the followers of their faith. Who are the goyim? You're goyim, I'm goyim, most likely you're goyim. 99% of us are. This is people who actually are not of the tribes, of Israel. We are not of the pure blood because when Judea was actually finally conquered in 132 after the Bar Kokhba revolt, the only tribes that would have been left after the Levites are gone are going to be the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah would have been the only pure tribes left because up north is where the Samaritans were in Israel before it got crushed after Solomon died. So there's almost no one who's of the pure blood that is mentioned in the Talmud. Therefore, when they deal with all the rest of us, what are they allowed to do? Lie, cheat, steal. That is literally in there. I have references. If you want them emailed, I can maybe be able to send them over to Mike to make sure they end up in the description here. But it's out there, okay? It's concerning to see these things. And there are way more 
weird allowances in the Talmud, including sins of impurity and sins of the flesh. Literally in the scriptures or their laws that they look at, this is not in alignment with God. Again, God cannot coexist with falsehood. Further, there's nowhere that God would allow his chosen people to actually issue curses on other souls. However, we have this, that they actually recite part of their 18 benedictions, or curses, depending on how you look at the word in Hebrew, benediction and curse, it's the same word. Their uh, little recitation goes like this. For the apostates, let there be no hope, and uproot the kingdom of arrogance. Speedily and in our days, may the Nazarenes and the sectarians perish, as in a moment. Let them be blotted out of the book of life and not be written together with the righteous. You are praised, O Lord, who subdues the arrogant. Hmm. So we're saying God can stand and approve of a group of individuals who actually seek to damn all Christians? Nazarenes are Christians, by the way. No way. No way. And if all of that wasn't enough for you, remember that it was this set of doctrines that came out of the Pharisees' minds, that mindset that allowed them to kill God, that ultimately created the pathway to Islam, to Protestantism, to Freemasonry, to Communism and Socialism, and here we are today. All of this stuff all adds up because... If you can walk away from Christ's divinity and you can walk away from his lordship, you don't have to respect anything. It's permanent revolution. That's all it exists. So adding everything up, does this sound like a group in union with Christ? The religion of the Pharisees, commonly known as Judaism, does this sound like something aligned with him? And I'll add on to, for context, when we use the word Jew, are we talking about a resident of Judea? Because they would be a Jew. Are we talking about the tribe of Judah, the blood of Judah? The same blood, this is David and Mary and Joseph and Jesus. That is of the tribe of Judah. All right. Or, and I say that versus tribe of Levi, tribe of Benjamin, tribe of Dan, what have you. Or are we talking about Jew in terms of an adherent to Judaism? So an actual religion. So let's make sure when we're talking about words, this is why I continue to say Judaism as the religion, the ideology is the problem. Individuals can always be saved. Individuals can always be instructed. Individuals can always change course. There is no guarantee as to where you're going to end up, where I'm going to end up, heaven or hell, or where any individual of any creed ends up. Our goal is to teach people and help them convert, right? So when we look at a religion that sits there and bases itself on a foundation that is God is not king and God is not God. Jesus Christ is not God or king. Well, then I have to ask and make sure we're all on the same page. Is there any way they could possibly be with God? No, absolutely not. Because whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, such a person is antichrist, denying both father and son. And that's 1 John 2.22. And if that isn't bad enough, when we look at someone who lies, who is the father of all lies? Satan is the father of all lies. And what did Jesus tell the Pharisees in the Gospel of John? He told them their father was the devil. He said the Pharisees' father was the devil. 
I will emphasize now before I close out today, please be wary of all the doctrines of the Pharisees and all of their fruits, which are poison. Make sure you understand Christ is truth and anything that he gave to us through divine revelation in his scriptures, through the tradition of the church. This is what the fathers and the doctors helped carry along. And the magisterium, the authority and the seat of the pope, regardless of the man, the seat still has power and the authority, the same authority that Moses had, the same authority that Peter had, that God says you will interpret and judge whether or not something is true or false. Those three pillars dictate what is true and what is not because God said so. When someone denies them, one, two, all three, they are no longer in the tent. They're no longer with us. Judeo-Christian is not a thing. There's just Christian or there isn't. There's Christ and Antichrist. You guys all got that. If you have questions, thoughts, concerns, issues, stuff you didn't agree with, more you want to know. All right, hit me up in the comments down below. Smash that like if this was helpful for you. Make sure to subscribe. Part two is coming up next week where we build into what impact does this have on our modern world. All right, we'll talk about that. So get ready for it. It's going to be great. And thank you all for watching. May God bless us and the Virgin protect us. And as always, St. Joseph, pray for us. All right, thanks. Have a good one.